So we're in this series called Trust and Obey. Uh, we're in this series where we are really looking um, at the letter of uh, Peter to early Christians in Asia Minor. And he's been writing and is writing, and we've been looking at Peter writing to them in the midst of kind of some difficult days that they're facing. Uh, they were in a, a Roman culture, and, and in that, there was uh, this kind of resistance that they felt to the, the, the ways of Jesus. And so being a follower of Jesus was pushing against some of the things in culture, and culture was pushing back on them in some ways. Even some local persecution had broken out. And so Peter's writing to them to really encourage them and instruct them on how they can live faithfully for Jesus Christ in their difficult time, in the midst of their culture. And he's really wanting to encourage them to stay faithful in their difficulty. Now, while they are in a different context and a different time than we are, we recognize this, uh, that we face difficulty as well in our lives. And so Peter's words are very timely for us because he's also encouraging us, I believe, on how we as followers of Jesus, if we put our faith and our trust in Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, how we can, we can continue to live faithfully and encouraged in difficult times as well. And so how can we do that is really what we're looking at and looking at Peter's words. Let's read the next section of scripture that we're gonna talk about today. First Peter chapter four, starting in verse one, and we'll go through verse 11. Peter writes this, since therefore Christ suffered in the flesh, arm yourselves with the same way of thinking. For whoever has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin. So as to live for the rest of the time in the flesh, no longer for human passions, but for the will of God. For the time that is past suffices for doing what the Gentiles want to do, living in sensuality, passions, drunkenness, orgies, drinking parties, and lawless idolatry. With respect to this, they are surprised when you do not join in the same flood of debauchery and they malign you, but they will give account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. For this is why the gospel was preached even to those who are dead that though judged in the flesh the way people are, they might live in the spirit the way God does. Verse seven, the end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. Above all, keep loving each other earnestly since love covers a multitude of sins. Show hospitality to one another without grumbling. As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Whoever speaks is one who speaks oracles of God. Whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies in order that in everything, God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To him belong glory and dominion forever and ever, amen. So we're talking about how do we make the most of our difficult days? And as we look at that, you know, I was thinking about it you know, for me personally, and I, maybe you identify with this as well is if I understand the bigger purpose, meaning, and reason behind what I face in my life, if I can understand that, it helps me have a better perspective and really a better outlook on maybe the difficulty that I'm facing, right? That if I can, if I can understand there's a bigger meaning, there's a bigger purpose, there's a reason behind what I'm going through, it helps me to have confidence and faith during that time. You know, sometimes we put challenges on ourselves and that perspective really helps us in achieving that goal or pursuing that challenge. You know, maybe uh, you, you, in your work setting right now, it's a very challenging time. You're really going above and beyond, but you're, you're recognizing this, that as you're challenging yourself to do better and to do your best, that, that you're seeing the, the fruit of that. 
Uh, you're seeing the, the task and the goals be accomplished, or maybe even there's a promotion in your future you're striving toward or, or a raise. And so when those things come, you see, hey, there's a purpose behind it. You know, maybe at some point in your life, you've, you've made a, a physical goal to say, listen, I wanna run a 5K. I wanna lose some weight. I wanna do whatever. And so as you're, you're sacrificing and you're working hard, you're seeing the results happen and it allows you to have this encouragement as you face difficulty and challenges. You know, or maybe it's this, maybe you've, you've wanted to get your finances in order. So you've been, you know, kind of maybe paying off some debt or you've been saving maybe for a trip or for a need. And, and once you get to that goal, you see the difference being made. And when we see the difference being made and we understand the bigger, the bigger plan and purpose and meaning for what we're going through, it helps us be encouraged during that time. Well, I think the opposite is true as well. Is some of the most discouraging times in life come when we don't understand why. When we don't have that bigger perspective or that bigger understanding of, of what is going on in life and maybe what is God doing through this time. Well, I believe that Peter's wanting to continue, as he's been doing, continue to point his readers and point us to, um, to, to, to the bigger purpose, the, the bigger meaning. So that, that when we face difficulty, we can understand that, that God is up to something bigger than maybe what we can see right in front of us. And in doing so in this, this chapter, I believe Peter really does it in three different ways. One, he, he wants to focus on perspective. He wants to focus on how we view things, how we think during difficult times. And he wants, us to, ch he wants to challenge us with having the right perspective. The second thing is he wants us to understand the right pursuit in difficult times. What should we be going after in our life that'll bring us that meaning and purpose? And then he wants to lead us to understanding what is the right result? What's that greater purpose and meaning that we should be, uh, be going after in our life? And here's kind of our bottom line. Here's what I wanna just encourage you with today that I've, that I've been encouraged with through Peter's letter, his words today is this, that having the right perspective and the right pursuit in the midst of difficult times will help us achieve the right result. That having the right perspective and the right pursuit in the midst of difficult times will help us achieve the right result. And that right result points us back to, as we're gonna talk about here in a little bit, points us back to the bigger purpose, meaning, and point of who we are and why we are living. And so let's talk first about the right perspective. Peter begins in verse, uh, chapter four, verse one, really pointing us to this. And here's the right perspective that he points us to. The right perspective in difficult times is learning to think like Jesus. Learning to think like Jesus. Look what Peter says, verse one. Since therefore Christ suffered in the flesh, arm yourself with the same way of thinking. He said, listen, Christ, as he's been talking to us about, Christ suffered as well, providing for us the example of how we should respond to difficulty. And he says, since therefore Christ suffered in the flesh. So Jesus suffered, he died. He says, arm yourself, so prepare yourself. It's this military term of, of getting what you need ready so you can go into battle. So arm yourself with the same way of thinking. Well, how did Jesus think? When we look at scripture, what, what did Jesus think? What did he value? What was his perspective on life and in difficult times? Well, I think, I believe when we see this, we see that Jesus valued the plans and the purposes of God above everything else. That when Jesus thought about difficulty, when he thought about his life, he viewed everything and valued the plans and purposes of God 
above everything else. And we're to have the same way of thinking, especially in difficult times. Peter really talks about two examples of, of how this perspective led to Jesus' response in, in difficulty. First is this, is that we see that Jesus valued faithfulness over ease. He valued faithfulness over ease. Look back in, in, in the previous chapter, 1 Peter 3, 18 and 19, uh, Peter writes this, says, for Christ also suffered once for sin for the righteous for the righteous, excuse me, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the spirit. He said, listen, Christ also suffered. He also faced personal difficulty and he did that for sin so that you and I as imperfect people could be forgiven of our sin, of the things that separate us from a perfect, holy God. And he suffered in that way and was willing to suffer to give his very life because he valued God's will, excuse me, valued God's uh, faithfulness, valued faithfulness to God over ease. He chose what was difficult over what would have been easier in life. And he did that because he had a perspective that God's plans and God's purposes were better. Second thing Peter says and points us to is, is this, I believe that, that Jesus not only valued faithfulness over ease, Jesus valued God's will over sinful human passions. He valued God's will over sinful human passions. Not only did Jesus give us an example of how to suffer, of how to keep the right perspective and valuing faithfulness over everything else, he also modeled for us what it meant to leave sin behind, to, to resist sin. Jesus was and is the only perfect person that, that has ever existed. As, as, as fully God and fully man, he was tempted in every way, yet he did not sin. And his example of suffering serves as a pattern for us in putting sin behind us in how we should live and how we should think. Look back at 1 Peter 4, 1 and 2. Peter writes, for, for whoever has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin. So we too are suffering. We too are facing difficulty. Now, when he says, for whoever has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin, he's not saying that suffering, that suffering forgives our sin, that suffering cleanses us from sin. He's saying, listen, that there's a connection between difficulty and, and the rejection of sin. That when we choose and we draw a line in the sand and we choose faithfulness over God and God's will, it's gonna create some difficulty for us in a culture and world that has a different value system. And we're to choose the same way that Jesus chose. We're to choose God's will over those sinful human passions. Here's what he goes on to say, verse three. For the time that is past suffices for doing what the Gentiles want to do. And then he gives this list of all these different cultural sins that are going. He says, the time in the past suffices. In other words, he's saying, listen, you've spent enough time in your past, what maybe you did before you accepted Christ, what you maybe have done in, in, in some, some, some seasons of, of time where you've chosen sin. He said, listen, you've spent way too much time already focusing on sinful things. Now the rest of your life should be focused on the will of God. And that perspective that my life's purpose is not sin, it's not to follow sinful human desires, but it's to follow the will of God is, is, is an important part to having the right perspective in difficult and challenging times. Paul, the, the New Testament writer, also wrote many, much of the New Testament and was really one of the, the leaders of, uh, of the early church. He wrote a similar thing in Romans 6, 11, and 12. 
He says, so you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passion. He said, listen, you need to leave behind sin. That the right perspective is to understand that we are to be people of God who value God's will over those sinful human passions. Now, Peter says, by doing that, you're gonna face some difficulty. Look what he says in verse four and five. He says, with respect to this, they, they are talking about non-believers, those who don't follow Christ. They are surprised when you do not join them in the same flood of debauchery and they malign you. He says, listen, the, the, there's gonna come a time where you're gonna choose the faithfulness of God. You're gonna choose God's will over sinful passions and not everybody's gonna understand why. And there will come a time where maybe they will even malign you. They will talk bad about you. They will, they, will, they will persecute you. They will oppose you in some way because of your perspective that, that God's will is more important than sinful passions. But he goes on to say this, but they will give an account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. So we don't have to worry about it if that happens because they too will have to answer to God for their, their choices in life, just like we will. You know, Jesus told us, listen, we're gonna face trials, trials and, and, and struggles and, and persecution by following him. But there's a cost to following him. In Luke 9, 23, he said it this way. He says, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. Listen, Jesus said, you're gonna have to deny yourself. You're gonna have to deny your, your human passions and temptations, but it's worth it. And having the, the right perspective in difficult times when we face trials, when we face struggles, when we face temptation is understanding that faithfulness to God is better than a life of ease. And God's will is better than sin and, and following human sinful passions. And so Jesus had that perspective. He, he thought like that. And Peter says, listen, arm yourselves with the same way of thinking. That you need to have that right perspective. But then he goes on to say, not just what we think's important, but then what we do is also important. See, Peter keeps coming back to, in our study we see, he keeps coming back to this idea that our conduct matters. That it's not just what we believe, it's not just what we understand, what we think, but what we do matters as well. And so he says, listen, you need to not just have the right perspective, but I believe he's saying this, you need to have the right pursuit. Not only do you need to think like Jesus, but we need to live like Jesus. Do the things, pursue the things that Jesus Christ did and the things he pursued. And he begins this in verse seven by saying this statement. He says, the end of all things is at hand. He prefaces what he's gonna say about our conduct and how we should live in the ways of Jesus by saying the end of all things is at hand. Well, what is he saying here? He's talking about this, this reality that we live in after the resurrection of Jesus, we live in the, the end times. Now, many think the end times are like this, this short period of time, but really we've been in this season of the end times. You know, you know, really Jesus is coming, right? And so he's saying, listen, we need to live with the understanding that Jesus Christ is going to return. And when he returns, he will bring the, about the, the, the restoration of all things. And he's in the business right now of restoring all things. And so we need to live our lives with the understanding that we live in a moment where Jesus could return at any point. 
And being faithful to him is living for him as we await for that to happen. Uh, I came across this quote uh, as I was studying by Juan R. Sanchez in this commentary, and he summed it up this way about living with the, this, this end in mind, right? He said, living with the end in view is not a call to radical Christianity, but to normal Christianity. So he's saying it's not this radical thing to live our life understanding that Jesus is returning and the time that we have left should be lived for him in the way that he lived. We should pursue the things that he pursued. He says, it's a call to live our lives together as a church in a way that displays the character of God to a hostile world. And that remembers that we have placed our hope in a certain glorious future so that everything may be glorified through Jesus Christ. So he, he says this idea, listen, that, that we are called to live in these days the way that Jesus did, to have the right pursuit, to have the right way of thinking, but also the right way of living. And Peter gives some examples of, of, of what we see in the life of Jesus, but also how we are called to live in these days. The first one is this. He says, I want you to be self-controlled and sober-minded. Be self-controlled and sober-minded. Look at verse seven. It says, the end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. This idea of being self-controlled and sober-minded is this idea of keeping our head, being clear-headed, being clear in our thoughts. You know, specifically, he's talking about, listen, don't get caught up in all the, the nuances and discussions and different opinions about the, the when and the details of when Christ is gonna return, but understand that we are to live clear-minded that he is returning and we should live in the hope of that and in a way that makes the most of the time that we have left for the glory of God. It really comes down to this, that we should seek truth, the truth of God, in everything that we do and look at how that applies to our culture and our current day. And the way that we know the truth of God is by spending time in the word of God. And so we should keep our, our, our minds clear and, our, and our, our minds sober. And it says, for the sake of your prayers, that by understanding God's word and purposes, that it helps us in our prayers, pray the things of God, the plans of God, the purposes of God. He says we need to be sober-minded and self-controlled. Second is this, we need to love earnestly. Look at verse eight. It says, above all, keep loving one another earnestly since love covers a multitude of sins. This idea of loving earnestly is this idea of a sustained and eager love. A sustained and eager love. It's one that, that, that is, is practically expressed in how we live in relationship with others. And it's a reminder again that, that love should characterize the people of God. That love for God and love for others should be the characterizing, you know, the, the characteristic of being a follower of Jesus. Jesus himself said it this way in John 13, 35. He said, by this, all people will know that you're my disciples if you have love for one another. That all people will know that you're my disciples if you have love for one another. That the way that we love specifically within the church is the characteristic that will let people know that we are followers of Jesus. Well, what does that kind of love look like? Well, Paul talks about it in 1 Corinthians 13, four through seven. It's a verse we often use in weddings to talk about the love of a husband and wife, but really the original context of it was this is how the church should love. This is what the church should look like in its relationships with one another. It says this, that love is patient and kind. 
Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. The love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, and endures all things. That that type of love should be characteristic in the life of followers of Jesus in the church. Why is that kind of love so powerful? Well, Peter says that we need to keep loving one another earnestly because love covers a multitude of sins. He may be quoting the idea that we find in Proverbs 10, 12 that says, hatred stirs up strife, but love covers all offenses. It's this idea that, that love is a powerful thing. It's not the idea that we need to ignore or overlook sin, but we need to work against the division and divisiveness that comes in, in imperfect people living in community like the church together. We need to not go around looking for the flaws in other people. We need to go around thinking the best of others, that we don't get stuck in the past in grudges and, and resent, but we forgive each other, we move on, that we choose forgiveness, understanding that love has the power to unite and overcome really just about anything. You know, I, I've been, over these past months, if I'm being honest with you, I've been shocked, I've been upset, I've been frustrated. And not only in my own heart at times, but in, in seeing how followers of Jesus are presenting themselves to one another. How we're responding to one another, how we're tweeting one another, how we're you know, sharing with, with each other on Facebook, how we're emailing each other. Because you know, in these difficult days, there, there's a lot of things that can, can divide us. And we see our culture is really divided, it's polarized. You know, just take, take the mask issue for one, right? You have people that are on one side that say, you know, that I'm never gonna wear a mask. Others say I need to wear a mask all the time, right? You have this racial reconciliation question that, that's going on. You have political things. You have, hey, should the church gather in person? Should the church not gather in person? And what we're seeing in our culture is that our culture seems to be approaching this from a, a posture of polarization, that you're either with me or you're against me. And if you're against me and you don't agree with me, I don't have time for you. I don't have love for you. I don't have patience for you. And I, and I don't have understanding for you. And if I'm honest, the danger of these days is that, that we as the church can find ourselves adapting to that same posture when it comes to issues. And I've, I've seen, I've experienced churches getting divided by this. When in reality, this is a time where we should be looking to love each other earnestly. Does that mean we can't disagree? Absolutely not, we're always gonna disagree. But how we disagree, how we treat each other, how we treat those in our community, how we treat those in positions of authority as we talked about a couple of weeks ago, all of that matters in this day. And so is our love defining us as followers of Jesus, even in how we disagree? Or are we buying into the posture of our culture and is creating more and more division and hurt? The greater purpose of God throughout COVID-19 isn't whether or not we wear a mask. The greater purpose of God is that people would turn to Jesus as their Lord and Savior and they would put their faith and trust in him. 
they would find hope and healing and restoration both now and for all eternity. And how we respond as followers of Jesus in this day will either help people understand the love of Jesus or could push people away from the love of Jesus. We need to love earnestly. Third thing is this, we need to show hospitality. First Peter 4, 9 says, show hospitality to one another without grumbling. You know, how do you show hospitality when you have to be away from people, right? It's a question I thought about. How do you show hospitality when you can't like invite people to your house or you have to, you know, do it in a certain way, right? Well, we have to understand the context of, of this passage. And the context really is this, that, that in, in, early, in the early church, followers of Jesus were very dependent on each other, especially those who were traveling to find a place to stay, to find a hospitality. But the idea of hospitality at its core really is this, is that it's the willingness to extend to someone else what I have to offer. Whether that's a meal, whether it's a place to stay, whether it's, it's clothes, whether it's food, whatever that is, the posture is, is that we are to be hospitable to another. We're to put others first using what we have for the good of others, not just ourselves. And we're to do this without grumbling. That's probably the hardest part, right? Because it's easy to do something you know you're supposed to do, but be really upset the whole time you're doing it. We need to show hospitality, looking at what we have to offer and using that for others, not just ourselves, especially during difficult times. You know, as Pastor Kate said last week, you know, a Christian should never say, that's not my problem when they see a need in the life of somebody else. That our posture should be one that Jesus shared in Philippians chapter two. We don't have time to read it, but go back this week, read Philippians chapter two, starting in verse four, and see, see the posture and attitude of Jesus and how he lived when it comes to, to, to emptying himself and putting others first. He did that so much, he gave his life on the cross for us. And Peter concludes giving these examples by, by this. He says, we need to serve others. In a way, it's kind of connected to this idea of showing hospitality. He says this in verse 10. As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Whoever speaks is one who speaks oracles of God. Whoever serves is one who serves by the strength that God supplies. He reminds us that, listen, we've been made to make a difference. That as a follower of Jesus, you and I have been gifted spiritually. We've been given talents and abilities, things that we're good at that God wants to use in our lives to bless others. He says that we are to steward these things, not as owners, but as managers. That God has given me a spiritual gift. He's given you a spiritual gift. And you and I are supposed to take those and use those for the benefit of his church, for other followers of Jesus. He talks about two general categories here of, of speaking gifts and serving gifts. So those gifts that are more about the proclamation of God's word. And he says that when we speak, we need to speak the oracles of God. And then if our gift is serving, we need to serve with the strength that God supplies. But the idea is that we need to be people that are serving. Listen, if you're part of Bay Area Church, if you're part of the family here that you are joining us and you're local and, and that you, you come here, you're, you're a member here, or you, you attend here, or maybe you're gonna start doing that once we begin to regather in person, we, we need you because God has gifted you. And there are areas in our church that we need your gifts 
and your, your ability to serve, we need them used. You know, as, as we regather as a church, we're regathering in the midst of, you know, COVID-19. And one of the, the, the practical things that we're having to really think through is, is we have people who are, are dedicated servants of God who serve on a regular basis, but because of either their own personal health issues, because of maybe uh, their care for extended family or those in their family who are immunocompromised or in a high-risk category, when we begin to regather in person as well as online, they're not gonna be able to gather with us in person, which means that they're not gonna be able to serve in the way that they were serving. And so as we are regathering, we, we need others to step in and to fill those gaps and to serve, allowing us to, to be the church that God's called us to be, specifically in the areas of Kidmen and the areas of our connection ministry, those ministries that are involved in the welcoming and connecting of people. And we need you not just to commit to begin to regather as we phase in this, this new plan. We need you to commit to serving. And so if you wanna find out more about how you can do that and where you can serve, I wanna encourage you to do this. Go, go, go here, go to bayarea.church slash go. Go to bayarea.church slash go. You can click on one of those areas. Our two biggest needs are kid men and, and, and connections. Click on those, those, those areas, fill out. This is, uh, there's an application there for leadership. Fill that out and we'll follow up with you. If you have questions, just email or call our church. We'd love to connect you, Right but we need your help in a practical, practical way. And last thing is this. Peter says, have the right perspective, have the right pursuit. And the right perspective, thinking like Jesus, the right pursuit, living like Jesus, will then help us achieve the right result. And the right result, the bigger purpose of life, what God wants to do first and foremost, in and through, no matter what we face, it's this is that God would be glorified. That my life, that your life would point other people to him is the most important thing. Peter ends our passage today like this in verse 11. He says, doing all of this in order that in everything God might be glorified through Jesus Christ. See, the greater purpose and meaning of why we suffer of why we face persecution at times, why we go through difficult times, the greater purpose of why we have good days, the greater purpose of why we have easy times, the greater purpose of everything in my life is to bring glory to God. The greater purpose of your life is to bring glory to God. I love the way the Westminster Catechism says it. Its very first question of understanding the truth of God in the Bible is this, is what is the chief end of man? Meaning, what is the greater purpose? What is the greater plan? And it answers it this way, that man's chief end is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. That you and I were created to glorify God and enjoy him forever. And the reality is this, is that when we face difficult times, if we keep the right perspective, if we pursue the right things, if we follow the example of Jesus, we will achieve that greater purpose. We will bring glory to God. And the enjoyment of God, even in difficult times, is the greatest blessing that we could ever have. And so here's the question I wanna leave you with today. The thought I wanna leave you with. No matter whether you're going through good times or bad, easy times or hard, 
Are you thinking and living like Jesus today? Am I thinking like and living like Jesus today? Do I have his perspective? Am I pursuing what he pursued? And is my life ultimately glorifying God? And that is the enjoyment I'm experiencing. See, that can happen regardless of our circumstance. Is your life, is it thinking about, is it living in the way of Jesus? The only way that that can be true in our life is through a relationship with Jesus. The most important thing we can do to glorify God, to enjoy him forever, to have the right perspective, the right response, to, to make purpose and, and sense of difficult days is to, is to first and foremost have a relationship with God through Jesus Christ, to put our faith and trust in him. And listen, if you've never made that decision, but you wanna make that decision today, I wanna encourage you to respond in this way. Pull out your phone, pull out your device and text the word response to 94090. Text the word response to 94090. And we would love to follow up with you and share with you more about how a relationship with Jesus Christ is the most important thing that we could ever give ourselves to. And through that relationship, through his example, we can find meaning, purpose, have hope and joy, even in difficult times. Let's pray together. God, we love you. And we thank you for this day. We thank you, Father, for your word. We thank you, God, that even though we're not in the same place physically, we can connect in a way that that reminds us that you are God who is sovereign over all. And God, we can, through a relationship with Jesus, through the example that he gave, God, we can, can think like him. God, we can live like him. And God, we can use our lives to glorify you as the most important purpose we could ever be about. And so God, would you be with every person today, every kid, every student, every adult who's listening or today or tonight or or at some point this week or even three years from now, would you remind them today of your goodness and your faithfulness? Remind them, God, that no matter what they face, no matter what difficulty or uncertainty they may be going through, God, there's a bigger purpose. There's a bigger plan. And God, they can thrive in the midst of it. They can achieve the the greatest meaning of life in the midst of it if they will trust in you. And remind them, God, that you are never away from them because of their faith in Jesus. They're never alone in what they face. God, give them strength today. Give us hope today. It's in Jesus' name we pray and we worship you. Amen.